Your Locked On Maple Leafs. Your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother from TSN's Overdrive. Get me up on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show as well at Locked On Leafs. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a rating review as well. That would be much, much appreciated. Sorry I wasn't able to get to a podcast for you guys. I don't know if you can tell my voice, a little bit hoarse from that uh, Italian win the other day. Uh, I know it was a massive Italian population within the, the GTA area, and I'm sure there's tons of overlap between you know the Italian national soccer team and the Maple Leafs. So hopefully uh, those who were supporting Italy did go out and celebrate. I know I did, and for that, I, I'm paying the price a couple days later. Uh, a lot of yelling, especially during the uh, the the penalty kicks. A lot of cheering, and you know Donnarumma, my man, Gianluigi Donnarumma, able to pull out the victory. And one day I hope that we could celebrate a Leafs championship the same way we're able to celebrate the Italians winning at the Euro Cup. Because if you saw Little Italy, you know if you're a Toronto native and you saw Little, you don't have to be a Toronto native. I'm I live in Niagara Falls, which is just you know I. Well, yeah, I, I live in Niagara Falls, which is just, you know, an hour and a half outside of, of Toronto. And, you know, we celebrated, went down to Clifton Hill, and it was maddening, maddening. Thousands of people, champagne was going everywhere, and uh, Italian flags all over the place. And, and I can only imagine what this will be like in Toronto if they're able to win a Stanley Cup. Like, we'll see, you know, Maple Leafs flags everywhere. You got everyone rocking the Leafs jerseys with Matthews and Marner on the back of it. Hopefully Tavares, maybe even a Morgan Riley, if he could stick around and, and be able to to bask in the success after some years of mediocrity when he first got here. But, you know, it, it just got me thinking, if Toronto, you know, the, the Italians – are able to celebrate like this in Little Italy and in and, and college in St. Clair and, you know, all across the, all across the world, really, we saw Italians um, celebrating. Just imagine what it would look like if it was the Leafs. We got a chance a few years back to see what the Raptors parade was like, and it was crazy. I think they said like 3 million people were at the parade and like – that's not even the population of the city. Like it's crazy. Like it's almost like every single person, and then their sit their family members from outside the GTA all went to this parade. And that's where the Raptors. Imagine if the Leafs can get it done. As 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 much as people love their basketball and their baseball, and the Raps and the Jays have given us a lot to cheer for over the last twenty five years. The Leafs winning a Stanley Cup would be the party to end all parties. And if that happens, guys, let's keep it classy, all right? We don't want to go Vancouver here. We don't want to start, you know, or or Montreal where they're just, you know, decimating the city. Keep it classy like we saw during the, the Euro Cup celebrations. A little bit of dirt and some beer bottles and cans on the floor, but no destruction. You know, there, there wasn't much fighting going on. It was all happy celebrations and let's hope that we can have that one day when the Leafs hoist Lord Stanley. I, I did want to go ahead and just kind of draw that parallel. And uh, hopefully, you know, the rest of Leafs Nation will be able to, 
to celebrate similarly to the way that I did and many other Italians did uh, on Sunday when they defeated England uh, to win the Euro Cup. But uh, let's get to the hockey news because there's quite a bit of it. Uh, the Maple Leafs yesterday named Dean Shinwith, and it is pronounced, no, sorry, Shinouth, Shinouth, Dean Shinouth. Uh, as the new assistant coach to replace Dave Haxtell. I'll go over his credentials, his resume, and, and why I believe this is actually a, a really good hire for the Maple Leafs. Uh, the Tampa Bay Parade was an absolute hoot. There are some stories from that, and some stories starting to come out about the injuries that were being suffered throughout the throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs and even beforehand that guys were playing through. So, Going to go over some of those. And the buyout market got interesting today, especially in Minnesota with the Wild buying out both Zach Parise and Ryan Suter. Nine years into that mega 13 million or 13 year deal that they received back in 2012. So I'm going to be joined by Seth Tupel, the host of Locked On Wilds, to discuss that. But let's get into the local news here and let's chat about this new Leafs assistant, Dean. Shinouth, and uh, he'll be replacing Dave Haxtall, who, of course, we know went to Seattle. So what I'm going to do, I guess, to uh, t- to get to know Dave Shinouth a little bit, I'm um, just going to go over his resume, and then you guys will get a-, a little bit of a better understanding of who he is. So he played 10 years in the NHL, split between the Islanders and the Bruins. He was a bit of a tweener, though. Um, he's a, a, a right-handed defenseman as well, which is which is key because uh, he will be manning the bench, uh, the, the defensive side of things, um, just like Dave Haxall did, uh, along with the penalty kill. But, yeah, so right-handed defenseman who played 10 years in the league as a, as a tweener between the AHL and the, uh, the NHL. Um, he then retired and went straight into coaching. And he started off in the IHL, which doesn't really exist anymore, uh, but it did back then, and it was a good kind of starting point for a lot of, of coaches. It's, I guess it's, it's similar to the ECHL that we have now, um, the East Coast League. And he started out as an assistant GM slash assistant coach for the Utah Grizzlies. And from there, he parlayed that success into a head coaching gig in the WHL with the Seattle Thunderbirds where he coached there for four seasons. During his time there, he ended up getting acquainted with the national program and uh, was an assistant for the under-18s at the 02-03 Nations Cup. And then the head coach of the following year um, for the under-18 World Junior Championships, and then was an assistant the same year at the under-20 World Junior Championships. Um, and the 03-04 you know, was a, a banner year. I think that that's like that magic draft with like um, you know Corey Perry, Eric Stahl, I, I'm pretty sure Mark Andre Fleury would have been involved there. Um, it was a massive, massive season, massive year. Um, so he he was involved there, which was a lot of uh, you know, which is encouraging that he had some some national spotlight. Clearly, they saw something in him, want to develop him, um, and then he went to Swift Current to be the GM and head coach. Where before buying, uh, yeah, so he was there for a few seasons, and then he bought the Kootenay Ice, another WHL team, and he became the head coach uh, for a couple of seasons there before finally landing his first NHL job in 2009 with the New York Islanders, the organization that drafted him. Uh, he spent, 
a few years there as an assistant, three years as an assistant before going down to the American League to be the head coach of the Lake Erie Monsters, spent four more years in the AHL, and eventually got back into the NHL in 2018 as an assistant on Rod Brindamore's staff, where he's been up until now. So Carolina, um, where he's coming from, they wanted to bring him back. And if you'll recall, Brindamore just re-signed his deal like, a few weeks ago, you know, it was, it was a big-time conversation. Is he going to come back or is he going to hit the market? Apparently, a big question was he wanted to bring back his staff. But he did also acknowledge that, you know, Carolina is not going to pay top dollar for all of these guys. And he did give his guys the opportunity to see what else is out there. And clearly, um, interviewed with Toronto which is pretty hush-hush. I didn't even hear that he had interviewed with the team. There there wasn't much coverage, actually, about what was going on with the assistant coaching search. Um, I know I did my podcast a couple of weeks ago saying some of the candidates who I believe could be um, you know, options for the Maple Leafs. I did not have Shinelth as one of them, but because I assumed that he was going to go back to Carolina. Um, and also, I will fully admit that I really didn't know who he was at the time, uh, but now I do, uh, and and you know I, I know so much more about his coaching pedigree. Uh, but with his contract coming up and expiring, he was able to seek out a better paying job, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, seeing what success was being had in Carolina, saw that and said, "Hey, let's bring him into our organization and see if he can." have similar success with our players, try and develop our defense the way that Carolina has developed a, a, a top-tier penalty kill. So that's uh, that's the story. That's, how, that's you know, a little bit uh, to know about Dean Shinouth and his journey uh, through the coaching ranks and how it took him about more than 20 years, really, uh, to, to get here, uh, 20 years of coaching experience from the IHL to the AHL, some some international uh, with some under-20 teams, some junior teams, uh, the WHL, uh, you know, a couple of, of, of NHL assistant jobs, and now finally uh, back, you know, in Toronto with another assistant job. Um, and, uh, you know, brings a, a wealth of experience to this team. And there's a quote here uh, that was sent out in the presser. The quote is from Sheldon Keefe. And he said, quote, after spending time with Dean, it became clear that his knowledge, passion, and personality would make him the right fit, said Maple Leafs head coach Sheldon Keefe. We're fortunate to add someone of his quality and experience to our staff. So clearly that experience, right, that like 20-plus year of coaching experience, you know, the the experience of coaching into the playoffs, you know, the last couple of years with, with Carolina and being successful also, I think was, was big for uh, – for them, so you talk about adding a you know killer instinct to this lineup, or you know adding a little bit of personality and edge. Maybe maybe the coach can bring that and instill that and be that kind of a a difference maker, I guess, on the bench or in the locker room. So maybe Shinouth, um, sorry, Sh- Sh- yeah, Shinouth can kind of get that done. His name is 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 gonna take some time to remember how to say regularly because. It's it, it reads as like Shinoweth, but it's pronounced Shinoweth, and it's just uh, it's gonna it's gonna get to me. So if I'm butchering the name, just know that I I am trying to figure it out. And you know, 
I need to remember, no, it's not pronounced the way it's spelled. It's it's a little bit different. Um, all right, let's get to know a little bit about Shinouth and what his role is going to be here in Toronto. So one would assume that he's going to take over the duties left behind by Dave Haxtall, which including running the defense and the penalty kill. Well, Carolina had one of the best blue lines with multiple players getting top five Norris consideration this year. I think Falk was on a ballot as as uh, as a top five defenseman. Uh, Dougie Hamilton, obviously up there in the mix. Jacob Slavin is up there. Like they, they've got a lot of quality, quality defensemen over there. So, you know, they really know how to breed them and, and coach them up. Um, and, and, and they're a solid defensive team as well. They play really, you know, structured and, and, and well-rounded. And uh, I, so bringing in that type of coach who, who's been able to coach and bring the best out of his defensemen the way that he has done the last few seasons in Carolina, I think he's going to be really beneficial for the defensemen here in Toronto. Hopefully he can get the best out of a guy like Morgan Riley and TJ Brody can continue to be at the you know optimal level that he can be and Jake Muzzin. And maybe he can bring more out of a guy like Travis Dermott or bring more out of a guy like uh, Rasmus Sandin, who's still young and figuring things out. You know, this is again, Shinelf is a guy who spent 10 years in the NHL trying to, you know, as a defenseman, perfecting uh, his craft or trying to at the very least. Um, so I, I think that's going to be big. The fact that there's you know, both playing experience and coaching experience of coaching high level defensemen and knowing, you know, how to improve a defensive core. And, uh, you know, Shinelf has been able to bring that, will bring that type of experience into the the coaching ranks and into the coaches room here in Toronto the second duty that he will have and probably one of the more important ones is he'll assume the penalty kill unit so that'll be his his role a, a role that he flourished in in Carolina uh, over the three years that he was the Carolina's uh, assistant coach and, and had the penalty kill uh, duties he had he operated at an 82.1% kill rate which was the fourth best in the NHL over the last 3 years combined so the, the all 3 years fourth best in the NHL for reference Toronto 22nd in the NHL over that same span so this is a guy who 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 has a pretty good system in place and he knows what he wants to get done and I'm assuming that in interviews, he, he this was probably a big sticking point. Something that the Leafs need to do better in is special teams. Both the power play and the penalty kill. Like I said, the last three years, 22nd in the penalty kill. You allow, you know, they allow too many shorthanded goals. It's just a fact. Right? They, or they allow too many goals on, on the power play while they're shorthanded. You know what I mean? But penalties, uh, especially once you get to the, the the playoffs, I mean, you look at this series against Montreal, the four games that they lost were all coin flips. All coin flips. You know, and, and coin flip games are decided by special teams. They're so important, and that is an aspect that Toronto desperately needs to improve upon. So, you know, I they're going to most likely let Manny Malhotra work something out over the summer. And now with Dave Haxtell leaving, 
they took it upon themselves to go out and get a, a, a another assistant who has excelled in a different organization with his penalty kill, and that's what they're implementing now into Toronto. I like it. I, I, I like the hire. Like I said, he wasn't a name that was on my radar, maybe wasn't on many radars, but he's somebody who I, you know, after after reading up on his resume and taking a look and diving into the stats of, of you know, what Carolina's done over the last few years and, and you know, knowing the defensemen that have come through Carolina in the last few seasons, um, I, I really like what they've been able to to do over there. And if he can bring that same success to Toronto, that's a win-win. That's a win. You know, they lose out on, on Dave Hackstall and they lose out on, on all that experience and they've now replaced it with Dean Shino, who is 52 years old. He's not a young cat. So he's got he's got the old grizzled veteran in him as well. And he played in the IHL. That was a tough, tough league to play in back in the day. So I guarantee you he's got some he's got some feistiness to him as well. Um, if if I had to guess, then again, I I never actually saw him play. It's literally just uh, based on a league that he played in twenty five thirty years ago. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's the new assistant coach here with the Maple Leafs, Dean Shinouth. Uh, and uh, so it looks like that's going to be the staff. Sheldon Keefe, head coach once again, along with Manny Malhaltra, who's going to get the power play capabilities. And then now Dean Shinouth takes over uh, the penalty kill and will run the bench on the defense. And that's going to be the, the three guys who hopefully can lead this team uh, behind the bench to to the same type of party that we had over the weekend uh, when Italy won the the, the Euro Cup. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what we're hoping for, right? That's the whole point. Everything we're building for is to win a championship and celebrate with all the fans and the players and the organization and, you know, put to rest all those years of agony uh, that we just have not had any any resemblance uh, resemblance of success. So I'm excited about this hire. We'll see what happens. All right, uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll chat with Seth Tupel of Locked on Wild. And there we are going to, uh, to discuss what these buyouts mean for the Minnesota Wild. And was it worth it? Nine years later, just two playoff wins. Winning two rounds. Was it worth it? We'll get to all that next here on the Locked On Lease podcast. All right, joining me now on the podcast is Seth Topol from Locked On Lightning. Seth, how are you today? Bunch of news coming down for you. How you feeling? Well, it's um, it was a bit of a crazy day because this news at least on one end, seemed like it came completely out of nowhere. I mean, if we look at it based off of Parisi and Suter, the Parisi news was a little more expected in the buyout camp as opposed to the Ryan Suter news. That one blindsided everybody. And so half of this is like, yeah, okay, this seemed like this was the likely scenario that we were going to get. The other half was like, wait, where where did this come from? What What happened? And so... I was uh, I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off for uh, a good majority of the day, but you know now the dust has settled and uh, we go into full reaction mode to try to kind of figure out why we got to this point. So, 
what conclusions did you come to then? Like right when you saw it. So both Parisi and Suter signed those mega $13 million or 13 year deals, almost 200 million combined. Uh, what was this now? Nine years ago today, like you said, the, the Parisi news, maybe a little expected Suter not expected, but would you say that uh, the wild got their money's worth on these contracts? Or do you think that at the end of the day, Maybe this, if, you know, revisionist history, they could go back in time. You think they would still give out these contracts? I think they still would. Uh, ultimately, the goal at that point was to try to bring some, uh, some huge veteran presence. And those two guys were near the top of the list, if not at the top of the list at the time, in terms of free agents on the market. And so the Wild were trying to bring in a couple of guys that could draw some attention to the franchise and some guys that would be leaned on to be the leaders of this team for the better part of the contract. Now, obviously a contract of that length, it's impossible to try to live up to that because, you know, the human body breaks down, players get older, uh, and it just becomes harder and harder to, uh, to live up to the years and the dollars. The uh, Minnesota sports fans have another great example of that uh, in Joe Maurer. He signed a huge mega extension with the team. And, uh, you know, it, it didn't, uh, didn't end up looking statistically like he was worth the money, but at the end of the day, Parisi and Suter kind of helped lay the groundwork for where this, uh, this team is at now. Um, they obviously are not the same players they were at the beginning of the contract. And so, you know, you're paying a guy to be in Parisi, basically a fourth line guy. Suter still was productive. Uh, maybe a little bit slower, but still was was playing some good defensive minutes. But at the end of the day, you are then having to do this buyout maybe in two years or in three years. At some point, the buyout was coming. And so uh, the thinking for Bill Guerin quickly became, let's just get this over with and try to f- kind of deal with the fallout as opposed to just continuing to push this down the road further and further because – you know, the other part of this is that let's say Suter absolutely were to fall off of a, a cliff with his production next year. Then what do you do? So it, it was it was a bit of a gamble by Garen, but at the end of the day, we now know how this situation ends for both of them. And we can move forward now by just dealing with simple cap hits uh, over the next eight years. You talk about that simple cap hits this upcoming season. They're going to save some money on their deals, but years was it two, three, and four upwards of $15 million. It's reaching of dead cap. I think it's what year three or year four, where it's 15 million for both of them and pretty close to it. I mean that. So when you're Bill Guerin and you're weighing these pros and cons, and, and I guess you yourself being, you know, a reporter and a cover of this team, does this signal to you that, you know, the cap savings that they're going to have through these next two years, this is a window where they have to try and win or like, how do you view these in terms of if this has anything to do to do with a competitive window stance? Well, I think it's fascinating that we deal with major cap hits uh, for the next four years. And then after that, it goes down to, I think it's something like 800,000 each. So from years four to year, from year five to year eight, it's like a $1.6 million cap hit for the two of them, which is, is extremely minor. 
you're also at a point where you're trying to re-sign Kirill Kaprizov to an extension. You're trying to re-sign Kevin Fiala to an extension. And so you theoretically have opened up some money um, to try to put some players around them for the next year or so. It appears as though this was done to try to fully maximize the amount of um, cap room that they have to re-sign Kaprizov theoretically after this bridge deal and Fiala, if they go the same route, to then have plenty of cap space to try to bring in impact free agents around them. So if anything, it's laying a little bit of Bill Guerin's hand out there in that it may be more desirable for the Wilds to try to get Kaprizov to maybe a five-year deal and then use that first year where the Parisian suitor cap hits are way lower, use that as the all-in type season to say, okay, now that these contracts are pretty much off the books, we're going to bring in a ton of guys around you and show you that we want you to, to stick around because, like you said, the, the 15 million hit in year three and year four, that, that's going to really hamper them unless we get some significant cap movement over the next couple of years. And so, you know, this is a huge gamble by Bill Guerin to, uh, to do this, but at the same time, they in four years have uh, opened up some substantial cap space um, by getting these two guys both on uh, buyout situations. Yeah. And obviously I think Bill Guerin is, which is exactly what this is. And he is gambling and just praying and hoping that we could see the cap go up because we still have a flat cap, you know, going to next season and, and probably the season after that, you got to hope and Garen's got to hope that in that third and fourth year, you know, three, four years, we'll finally start to see those caps start to rise. And now all of a sudden that 15 million that looks so daunting to us right now won't be as daunting because he's expecting a 10 to 12, maybe even as high as a $15 million cap increase four years from today, does that kind of seem like that's part of the, the gamble here that Garen is making? Well, that, and I, I think this also signifies that the wild really want to see what they have in some of these younger players and give them an opportunity. Cause they're, they're going to be a little more cap strapped. So they're going to need players who are making uh, relatively low salaries. You've got guys like Matt Boldy, Marco Rossi, Kalen Addison. And so, let's say that those guys end up playing well here over the next couple of years to where they get signed to moderate extensions and they show that they can be impact parts of the roster. Your core is pretty much all short up with the exception of Fiala and Kaprizov. Once those guys are signed, then all of a sudden you get a group of players that you can build around and you start pulling in impact free agents. And then you start to really see a clearer picture as to when this team can uh, can seriously be competitive um, in not only the Western Conference but also in the entirety of the NHL. So it's um, I think it shows us that what Bill Guerin wants to do is is develop this roster a little more over the next couple of seasons and and see if any of those guys are worth re-signing and and really start to swing for the fences uh, in year five of that uh, that Parisian suitor buyout. 
Okay, so it's it's signaling a bit of a, a reset, a retool, which makes sense. A lot of new GMs, when they come to teams, they, they typically take a year to figure out where the team's at and how they can better, uh, you know, equip this team going forward. And, you know, I, I liked what Minnesota was able to do. I liked the moves that he was able to make. And, and I think that they're on the right path. And it does seem like, because I've heard a couple of different conflicting reports on Twitter, some saying that this proves that they are all in right now and that the cap space that they're opening up the next two years is an all-in move now. And then I've also heard uh, the what you're saying here is saying, no, it seems like they want to take the next three to four years to develop this team. And then in year five, when all that cap comes off the books, then they'll go all in. So it's interesting how there's a couple of different uh, ways that people are viewing this. And I guess technically only Bill Guerra knows the real answer, unless there's something you heard today. I believe you, he, they spoke today. Did you get a chance to to listen to anything that he was saying about this? Yeah, I, I had a chance to to tune into the, the press conference a little bit. And mostly what Guerin, I think the most interesting thing that Guerin said was that these discussions, this notion of of a buyout for Parisian Suter has been going on for months and that it wasn't something that just kind of came out um, at mm. the end of the season. And so this is something that Garen has been weighing quite a bit. And, um, you know, with that money, maybe there ends up being a situation where they can get a big time free agent to come here for one year and they really go and, um, and, and try to become one of those top teams in the West, but th- years three and year four with that 15 million, that's just going to be sitting on the books it's it's going to have to be if they do take a swing it's gonna have to be here soon because those those years three and four it's gonna be real hard to get anything done before those doors open up so it's uh it's really interesting um in that also neither player was approached according to uh to garen and to uh to michael russo as well neither player was approached about waiving their no movement clause so that was not even a discussion. Wow. The, see, so, that's interesting. Because yeah. I, I made the assumption, right? This is just me assuming, you know, this is why you never assume. Because <laughs> I made the assumption that, okay, they were both asked. And Parise, I'm not sure if there would have been a market for him. So you may have had to buy him out and bite the bullet. But I am I'm shocked that Ryan Suter wasn't asked and then at least have Minnesota retain 50%. Then you don't have to worry about all that dead cap and you're still saving money over the next four seasons. And if there was no team willing to take on a Suter at like three, seven, five, I don't know what, what GMs are doing. I don't know who wouldn't take that over the next couple of seasons here. Right. So that, that's yeah. somewhat surprising. And I just assumed that Suter said, no, I would rather not wave if you want to buy me out sure but at that point i can go and handpick whichever team i want to go to and kind of double dip on a contract and kind of maximize my full value and pick handpick the team i want to go to who i think can win and, and get myself a championship that's how i read into that deal and that's really surprising to hear that neither were approached to wave them yeah i'm i'm shocked by that i i figured that that was going to be um a way for them to stick around. Cause I don't, I don't think it would have been a scenario where uh, Seattle would have picked either player, but at the end of the day, I mean, I, I still think Suter's got a couple of productive years left in him. Uh, Parisi, it's going to come down to fit for him. I, I think there was just such a disconnect between what he thought he could do and what the wild needed him to do 
And so if he can find a team that gives him a little bit of a bigger role that he also is ready for, that's the other caveat is that he has to be ready for it. But honestly, I, I thought that the, uh, the wild could have gotten at least another probably two seasons out of Suter. But at the end of the day too, you're assuming that you can do that. I mean, we've, we've seen it happen to players in the past where they, you know, are, are cruising along and all of a sudden, whether it be an injury or something else, like they just, they, they hit the wall and then they are just completely unproductive after that. So that, that was something I'm sure that was weighing on Garen's mind as well. Um, honestly, it just, the fashion in which it happens, it, it just speaks to as well that uh, if anybody was questioning it heading into today, there is no doubt this is Bill Garen's team. And yeah. Bill Guerin is going to do what is best for the bottom line of this team, no matter what. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And he's putting his fingerprints all over this team. Um, going into next season, then, what would you say are the expectations for the Minnesota Wild? Well, that, uh, that's going to come down to um, a couple of things. What they do to kind of fill out the roster who ends up leaving to Seattle. I think the nice thing now is that by Suter and Parisi being off the roster, it seems pretty likely that Matt Dumba will be protected. So he's not going to be at risk to go to Seattle. Did that play Um, into this at all? There was also some discussion about how gaining two extra protection spots may have played into this uh, happening today ahead of the expansion. I I think it did. Uh, The the team has been pretty adamant. Garen's been pretty adamant about the fact that, Matt Dumbo was going to be on this team next year and beyond. And so I think, I, I don't know. And I, I can't speak to whether or not there were attempts to trade these guys, you know, once the season was done during the season, I don't have anything to go off of in that regard, but I think at the end of the day, there was really just a flat out, like, would you rather have Suter on this team as he continues to kind of go towards the end of his career? Or would you rather have Dumba? in that spot. And I would rather have Dumba um, and, you know, on the offensive side of the puck, I mean, you now have kept a guy uh, like Carson Soucy. You can put him on the protected list, a guy that the wild have some, uh, some pretty high plans for, or, you know, any number of guys, Jordan Greenway, there there are plenty of players that the wild could use that, uh, that spot that's opened up at the forward position. So I, I think at the end of the day too, if we're going to like see this team start to incorporate more youth uh, going forward, why not now? Why not now as opposed to having guys that are in around 36 and are continuing to kind of decline. So it, that's another angle to this that I think shows that Bill Guerin, you know, just wants to continue to add youth to this team to really make a big push in uh, a handful of years after those big cap numbers are gone. Yeah, the only thing that I I I wonder uh, about you know that whole let's get competitive uh, five years from now. Just quickly taking a look at the age of some of these players. I mean, uh, I know that although he was a rookie, Kaprizov was what twenty four years old. So if you think five years from now, when they're expected to be ready to compete, you'll have both Fiala and Kaprizov at twenty nine. Uh, Joel Eriksson will be at twenty nine. So they'll be right kind of at the edge of their prime. And so that, that that's kind of interesting. So you have those guys 
approaching the end of their prime, but also hopefully you have those young guys to come and supplement them like the Rossies and the, you know, the other players that, that you mentioned. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out for the Minnesota wilds. I'm sure Seth, you will be on top of it as you always are. So uh, go check out his podcast. I'm sure he's got a lot more to say about this and, and about how the fallout will, uh, will go about in Minnesota. You can check that out at Locked on Wild. Seth, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. That is Seth Topol of the Locked on Wild podcast.